Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Matter of fact, there's nothing that is outside of his ability or where he finds himself limited, but he is able, praise God, whether it be sickness, whether it be provision, whether it be a miracle of some sort that we just need in our lives desperately for God to intervene in, God is able to do that. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for the greatness of our God tonight, and I don't ever want to get used to it. Amen? Get used to certain things. If you're not careful, you can get so accustomed to it uh, that you just kind of get used to it. That's what happens to cause some marriages to fall apart is they just get too used to one another and uh, take one another for granted. And for long, they, uh, well, I learned how to be successful in marriages. Keep your wallet open and your mouth shut, praise God. So anyway, that's all right. If you have your Bibles, invite your attention to Joshua chapter number 10. Joshua chapter number 10, and I want to read uh, just a few verses of Scripture here. Starting with verse 24. We know that there has been a, a transition here from earlier books. When you come out of the first five books of the Bible and then you land in, in Joshua, there's a shift. They're going into the promised land. And this is a part of one of the struggles that they had in possessing the land of promise, starting with verse 24. And it came to pass... When they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war, which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus shall the Lord do all your enemies, do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. I, I like verse 25 so well, we just read it again. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not nor be dismayed, be strong and of good courage. For thus shall the Lord do to all, not just these enemies, but any enemies that you encounter in the future, if you'll trust in the Lord and you'll be strong in the Lord and you will not let fear take over, then this he'll do to all of your enemies. And so I want to I want to preach or teach tonight from this subject things that must be conquered things that must be conquered praise the lord let's 
pray together right now that God would help us in the remainder of this service. Jesus, we're looking unto you, the author and the finisher of our faith, praying, God, that you would help us, strengthen us through your word tonight, encourage someone, bless each and every person that is in this house, and we'll forever give you the thanks and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. I'm told that's one word of praise that is um, something that's not translated in the other language, but it's the same in every language, therefore considered to be one of the highest forms of giving praise to God by saying hallelujah. Why don't we shake these rafters with a great hearty hallelujah tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. Clap your hands to him. Hallelujah. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. The book of Joshua, as I've already kind of alluded to, um, in the course of this story, the people are possessing the promised land. This is something that they had, of course, looked forward to. They had talked about and uh, maybe even perhaps uh, wondered when it was going to take place, when it was going to happen for them. And we know that there was some things that God had to work out concerning Israel before it could take place. But now, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they cross over uh, under the leadership of Joshua, cross over the Jordan by a miraculous uh, event to be able to cross over during a time when the Jordan was at flood stage. The Bible says that they went over into the land to promise and begin to possess it. And it did not mean that there would not be any further battles. Just like when we come into the church, when we begin to live for God, doesn't mean that we'll never have any more struggles or battles or trials or any more difficulties, that it's all smooth sailing from there. But uh, Canaan land, a lot of people misrepresent it as being a type of heaven that's not what it is. It is a type of the church. It's a type of being in the church. And this, we know, is a blessing to us, but there are some, some things that we have to possess. There's things that we have to overcome along the way, and they had to do that. There was wild beasts that had to be overcome. There was enemies. There were walled cities. But as long as they followed God and His plan and had faith in the Lord and continued to be obedient to Him and put Him first in their life, God would allow them to be victorious in every instance. Every time they were challenged, every time some enemy come against them, every time they encountered a city that needed to be overthrown, uh, any time there was an enemy that resisted them possessing the land, God gave them victory through their obedience and through their faith. And it's here in chapter 10, it becomes clear that these five kings that we read about here were stopping progress, or at least trying to impede progress in their endeavors of possessing the land. And before the children of Israel could continue to possess the land or their promise, they had to conquer these five kings. Now, there's many other instances where they had to conquer other types of, of leaders and lands and people and, and even cities. And we could use those as illustrations tonight. But these five kings, they 
had been in a battle, and uh, the battle had waged on, but Israel began to prevail against uh, these five kings and the armies that they represented to the point that these, these kings went and hid because they recognized that they were losing. They went and hid in some caves that was nearby the battlefield. And I want you to note what Joshua did and how he dealt with them when they went and hid in those caves. He could have said, well, we've got the enemy on the run. And uh, they're hiding out in the caves, and they don't really, we vanquished their armies. They don't have any armies left to fight us with. We're victorious. We'll just claim the victory, and uh, we'll let them just stay in those caves if they want. And, uh, but the Scripture tells us that at first he put a stone over it, over those caves, and then he went back and brought them out, out of that dark place, that cave, that cavern, he brought them out into the light and began to deal with them. And I think that's very significant because there's some things that can lurk in you and I's life. Uh, it can lurk in the dark places that nobody knows about. And it can be hidden in the shadows somewhere. But that doesn't mean that it does not need to be dealt with in order for us to be victorious. That does not mean that at a later time that enemy that we didn't take care of when we had the opportunity to take care of it, that we didn't deal with when God gave us the chance to deal with it, won't come up again and be something that we need uh, to deal with in the future or a challenge to us in the future. So Joshua said, I know that we've been fighting a long battle here, but we're not through, guys. We're going to bring this out into the light, and we're not going to hide it. We're not going to pretend that it doesn't exist, but there's still work to be done. And I think we could apply this to every one of us here tonight because no matter how long or how short, for that matter, that you've been living for God, there's still areas of your life that you're dealing with and trying to conquer, areas of your flesh that you're still wrestling with, as it were, struggling with, you know, flesh is one of those things that just doesn't go away just because we got the Holy Ghost and we came into the church, but we're still uh, dealing with it. We're still endeavoring daily to subdue it. We're still praying through it. Amen. We're still uh, allowing the Word of God to admonish us in our flesh, to help us to grow in our relationship with God because we want to be victorious and ultimately we want to be saved. Can you say praise the Lord? And we also know that there's greater promises in God to be possessed if I can live the way God wants me to live and continue in faith, amen, and continue to walk in obedience to God, that there's greater things that God wants to do through every one of our lives. Amen. Somebody ought to clap their hands and praise the Lord for that. So uh, not too long ago we talked about the hidden man of the heart. Every one of us, uh, you know, there's things in our heart that we need God's help uh, to deal with and to, uh, as it were, deal with it before it becomes a problem, before it becomes an issue. And I believe the Holy Ghost can help us to do that. The Bible said if we'll walk after the Spirit or be led by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the greatest preventative against flesh 
going rampant in our life and sin being committed is to continue to walk after the Spirit. And that requires, as Paul said, us dying out to our flesh in order to, to live in the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. Oh, praise the Lord. So he brings it out into the light. And he said, we're going to deal with this. And I think all of us have to be honest with ourselves and be willing to deal with things in our life and don't pretend like they don't exist and ask for God's help in dealing with them. You know, sometimes the devil, you know, he, he's, he's one of those that he, he sets the trap and then uh, after somebody falls in to the pitfall or, or the trap, uh, then he, he comes with the accusing voice and said, if you was the person that you should have been, this wouldn't have happened. If you was really uh, the individual and the child of God that you're supposed to be, this wouldn't have occurred. This wouldn't have taken place in your life. And so he becomes an accuser and he begins to dog you and condemn you for the things that you you failed in. And if we're not careful, we'll let him get the upper hand at that point. When in reality, we need to be man or woman enough to just say, yeah, I may have failed, but I'm failed trying. I failed trying to live for God and please the Lord. And the thing that I don't want to do is get to the point that I lose hope or I just give up or I just surrender and say, well, there's no use of even trying. But the quicker that you can correct an area of your life that needs to be corrected, the better off you'll be. And the less the accuser, the less the accuser will be able to get a foothold and begin to condemn you and point his railing finger at you and cause you to feel like you can't get back up again. Amen. That's why you got to bounce back up. That's why you can't stay down. That's why the prophet said, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, it's already predetermined. I'm going to get back up. That's not an issue. I am going to stand up. I am going to crawl back to my feet. Amen. Praise God. And so it's very vital that you, you don't get to the place that you, when you, you come down to the altar, you, you feel like, well, there's, there's, there's no use in me even attempting or trying or praying. And the longer, longer that you wait before you get back down to that place of prayer and get that straightened out with God, get it under the blood, pray over it, pray through over it, whatever the case may be. And I'm not just talking about issues of sin. I'm talking about weights that burden us down, things that impede our relationship with God, things that get between us and God and our relationship with Him, whatever it may be that's hindering me in the race. i got to get it out of the way because I want to be all that He wants me to be. Oh, praise the Lord. And so just being uh, the type of person that is willing to deal with it, and doesn't act like, you know, just because you ignore some things doesn't mean they're going to go away. you got to deal with it. Praise God. And, and Joshua said, I'm going to deal with this. And then he did something that was very unusual. He said to those that were with him when they brought those kings out, he said, put your foot on their neck. Now, I don't, I don't remember reading any other place in the Bible where this was done, but as I began to kind of study about it, I found out it was a, a custom of ancient armies and, and warriors that when they had taken total dominance over uh, 
an enemy and vanquish them that they would put their foot on their neck. And this was a sign or a symbol that they're bringing them under submission and they have total dominance over them. And this was just a way that they would show that dominance. But there's something unusual here. Joshua did not do this himself. He was the leader. He was the man that was leading the charge for the armies of God and the people of God. But it was not he that went and put his foot upon the king's neck one by one, but he instructed his men to do so. In other words, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the victory, but he was a leader that wanted his followers and his subordinates to also be participants in the victory. He also wanted them to celebrate what God had done for them. I think it's important for us as saints of God that we not only get victory for ourselves, but we also help others to be able to join in and to celebrate the victories and the places that we are able to go in God along with us. Amen. For instance, if you're a husband, uh, you're a leader of your home, I think it's important that you not just be concerned just with your own victory and your own triumph and your own relationship with God, but you also get your family involved in that victory. Amen. Also get them involved in the celebration of what's going on and what God has done. Get your wife, get your children involved. Wife, I think it's good that you also lead. Amen. You, you, you're an example to others. And there's older saints of God that are here that have lived for the Lord a long time. It, it's important that we involve others in the church, young people, new converts, others that maybe do not have the experiences that you do. Include them in on the celebration. Help them to come in and be able to experience and know what it is to have victory. All of us understand and know that there's some victories that we can't get we can't get them by ourselves we didn't get here on our own first of all we all know of course we have God's help in every victory but a majority of the time uh, we we don't have revival by ourselves but we have a revival as a church and as a church family amen we don't have we don't have many times victories in the altar without others helping us to break through and pray one with another that's why altar time is such a special time amen for a church family amen i, I know that we we understand the responsibility as church members to pray for uh, guests that come to the altar the lord is moving upon them we want to be uh, a person that gets under a burden and is used of the lord to and anointed of God to pray with them and help them and and our faith kind of bolsters them up in areas maybe encourage them in their prayer and how many times have, have you seen people that was just right on the brink just right there almost ready to break over into victory and and just couldn't seem to get there but somebody come along and begin to pray with them and encourage them a little bit and it wasn't long till they were able to get to that place of victory through somebody encouraging them. And that's important. That's important that we encourage one another in the Lord. That's what the Bible says. 
I said that's what the Bible instructs us to do. That we, that we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, the Scripture says. And so we want to achieve victories together. And he wanted his men to be involved in this victory. He said you put your foot up on them. And then he said this. He told them in, in I think it was verse 25, yes, verse 25, he says, Fear not, nor be dismayed, but be strong and of good courage. Now, just at a glance, that seems like he's just restating the same thing in different words. It just seems like he's kind of reemphasizing the same thing. Be strong, be of good courage, fear not. Don't be dismayed. Seem like the same thing. And perhaps it is very similar. But I believe he's emphasizing something here. He said, don't let fear come in. And don't even let a little bit of disappointment come in. Because I am going to be with you. And I am going to give victory to you, God says. And then he said, I don't want you uh, to be weak. I don't want you to shrink away from the enemy and the test that is here because God promised you this land you can be of good courage you don't have to in any way faint from any enemy you don't have to be leery or intimidated in any situation because God is with you amen I got to looking at that word dismay and it literally means don't fall apart don't fall apart you know uh, that's what the devil wants people to do when pressure's on, when fear is there. He wants you to fall apart. He wants you to fall apart, lose faith, lose hope, give up, and, and just feel like that there, there's no, no way it can be done. Nothing can a positive come out of this, that this is too big of a deal, too big of an obstacle, too big of a challenge before me. It's insurmountable. I just, uh, I'm just caving into it. I'm falling apart. Oh, but we don't have to do that. He said, don't be dismayed. Don't fall apart, but be of good courage because God is with you. He is going to give you the victory. Oh, praise the Lord, someone. Praise God. Hallelujah. They were getting ready to take victory over some kings that had no doubt intimidated them in the past. And that's why he was giving them this message that seems to underscore certain points. And that's why he's telling them, don't become fearful because a lot of times right before great victories in our life, that's when the devil will tempt us with fear. Or that's when fear tries to insert itself into our lives. I mean, right on the verge of miracles, right on the verge of some of the great victories. You know, I, I, I've seen people, you know, even when they were praying for the Holy Ghost, you've seen this. They'd be praying, and, and then all of a sudden it's like they get a little bit uh, concerned or afraid about what's happening because obviously as they're yielding to God, they don't feel in control and they're, they're, they're feeling the presence of God. Perhaps they've never felt it like that ever, ever before. And so it's a new experience entirely for them. And, and so they get a little bit afraid. And fear can come in and steal what faith they have if, if they're not careful. That's not the will of God. 
we know that often we receive a negative before God does something very positive in our life. I mean, you got to be sick, right, to be healed. But when that sickness comes upon people, and we, we definitely have uh, ways of evaluating that and appraising that, and we, we've got some things that are way up here in our minds and, and, and other things, we think, well, that's just a minor deal. I mean, you know, people have been known to survive with that, and people can live with that. But this over here, you know, that, that, that means that it's bad. That means that death may be a, a part of the equation here. But, and that's a time when fear can come in. But you know what? Uh, faith can always overcome, and we can see some of the greatest miracles right in the midst of those times when if we allowed ourselves to go, go with just our base instincts, we would f- be fearful about something. But that's a great opportunity to let God take control and let God have his way and let God work and put our faith in him and our trust in him and a miracle would take place. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. So fear is often the dark room where where negatives are developed, but faith is developed when we say, you know what? I'm not going to I'm going to reject that. I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to hear that. I'm not going to ponder on that. I'm not going to let that I'm not going to let that get me down. I'm going to rise above it. I I'm not going to be dismayed. I'm not going to fall apart. Praise the Lord. But I'm going to hold things together in God's word and stand on his word. Amen. Let's clap our hands to him again. Why is it that when we're right on the verge of victory, that's when the devil tries to come in and put fear or unbelief or doubt or whatever? I'll tell you why. Because he doesn't want you to follow through. He doesn't want you to finally conquer. He doesn't want to give up. You know, dominion is never achieved easily. Even even in our modern world, kings don't, don't say just because somebody said, hey, I'd like your... I'd like to take over your resources and your land and govern your people. They don't just say, oh, that sounds like a good idea to me. I think we'll, we'll let you do that. There's usually a battle. There's usually a struggle that goes on. Well, I'm going to tell you, the devil doesn't give up territory easily either. Amen. He fights for every inch of it. He fights and he tries, and that's why we have to be strong, and we have to have courage, and we have to have faith in God, and we cannot give up, but we've got to continue to persist and be faithful to him. That's the only way. He said, I'm not going to give you this land in a day, but he said, little and by little, I'm going to drive them out. Amen. For all of us that just want everything overnight, that's not how it works. Amen. You don't dig out a relationship with God like that. You don't go to places in prayer and depths of the Spirit and anointing like that. It's little by little. It's prayer meeting after prayer meeting, church service after church service, being obedient to God when He asks you to do something, yielding to God in the important times of your life, not missing visitations from God in your life. In little and by little, you can look back and have the testimony that God has brought me a long ways and God has helped me and I've grown in Him and I've matured in Him and I'm a better person now than I was when I first received this wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, praise the Lord.
but but some things you're going to have to put your foot on its neck and take dominion over it. Amen? You're going to have to make up your mind. I, I'm going to finish the job. I'm not going to quit halfway. And I believe that these five kings could represent some things that we need to also conquer in our life. And I want to use this really as just kind of a, a jumping off place or a way to to be able to deal with these five things that I want to deal with. We walk by faith and not by sight, the Bible says. We walk in faith and the purpose and the plan of God. And in order to do that, we've got to, we've got to yield ourselves to the Lord and we've got to follow His plan. And we've got to, when those challenges come, be willing to overcome them and conquer them through the power of God. And so I want to deal with five things. There's five kings here. I want to deal with five things that uh, I feel like sometimes if we give in to them or allow them to, they can, they can hinder us in our walk of faith and achieving the things in God that we desire to achieve. And it's going to seem maybe pretty basic here at first, but uh, I, want, I want you to give me a little lead way. Your five senses, what you can hear, see, smell, feel, and taste, all five of these areas can be tremendous evangelists for unbelief if we give in to them in certain circumstances and situations. And some, some of you right now are thinking about some of those. You understand, you know, there's a few of them you just, I mean, it's a given. You understand how they could be an impediment. But, but how, how can other, others of those five senses, how does that relate to us spiritually? Well, just give me an opportunity here tonight. Because if we allow our five senses, we'll allow them to talk us out of what God is ready to do in our lives. How many knows that God has a plan for every person in here? Amen. The plan's not the same for every person. There's certain things, obviously, that all of us, uh, it's part of the plan. It's part of the plan that we, that we repent of our sins, that we be baptized in the name of Jesus, and that we be filled with the Holy Ghost, and that we live a holy life. But beyond that, everybody has an individual plan. Everybody God has a peculiar plan for. And so to achieve that plan, there's some things that we've got to subdue. And I first want to relate this first physical sense that I, uh, sense that I want to talk about uh, may seem unusual or uh, hardly could relate to the spiritual, but just hold on. When you look at the story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter number 3 and how that the king Nebuchadnezzar had placed a big golden image and he placed it out in a very prominent position where everybody could come and worship it. And what little reading I've done about this, I found that it was it was made to look like King Nebuchadnezzar himself. So he, he, he made this image. He had musicians come. He invited governors and all kinds of people in position to come. 
And he said, when the music's played, they're all going to bow to this image. And to his dismay, there was three Hebrews that refused to bow when the music was played. And we know the story, so there's no need for me to belabor the point. But then he gave him another chance. He said, if you refuse to do this, we're going to put you in the fiery furnace. But I'm going to give you another chance. And he said, we're going to heat it up seven times hotter. And, uh, but when this music plays, you better bow. And the second time, they did not bow. And this angered him, and full of wrath, he had them cast in to the fiery furnace. And the Scripture says, of course, that the men that threw them in, it had been intensified the heat, that those men perished. So that tells you a little bit how hot the fire was. And cast them in. And then, I don't know from what position that Nebuchadnezzar was looking into the fire, but he himself said that he looked down into that fiery furnace and he's seen a fourth man likened to the Son of God. And so... Uh, Whatever situation that we're in, when we're standing for God and standing in faith, we know that we're not there alone. And so, uh, Scripture tells us that when they were retrieved from this fire, it says, neither did the flame touch them, but it says right here, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither was their coach changed. In other words, it didn't damage them nor the smell, and this is amazing, of fire had passed on them. I know I've focused on that before, but these were men that had went through a tremendous trial in the fiery furnace, and there's absolutely no evidence when they get through this trial. There's no residue of it. There's no evidence. They're not scarred. They're not burned. There's nothing on their garments that identify that they've been through it. There's nothing about their countenance that identifies that they've been through it. There's no smell from the fire itself, no smoky smell on them. But they came through this without a trace that they had ever been through it. What are you talking about? I have seen people, you have witnessed people, you've been around them, they have perhaps been burnt and they have become embittered about a circumstance in their life. And when you're around them, it's all they want to think about. It's all they want to talk about. It's all they want to converse on. It's, they complain. They, they whine about it. They pity themselves about that situation in their life and those circumstances that they had to go through. And when they went through a trial and when they were in this situation and how bad it was, but there's no evidence that these fellows used their trial for that at all. Matter of fact, when they come out, I have a feeling they come out with smiles on their face and their hands lifted up giving praise to God that he had delivered them. And look, uh, we did have to go into the fiery furnace, but the heat didn't, didn't touch us. Uh, amen. God protected us, kept his hand upon us. Uh, if we'll keep an attitude of faith and not give in to our flesh and wanting to complain about how bad life is and keep our faith up, God will help us and protect us and provide for us in the midst of our trial. <laughs> I, I was reading a, a book recently about uh, a, a certain tribe down in the Copper Mountains of Mexico, uh, 
Ramara, something of that nature, tribe. And these guys uh, were, just because of virtue of living in that country, they ran all the time up and down those mountains in that altitude. And this is really where some of the first uh, ultra runners was found. It was not uncommon for them to run incredible distances. And so they have ultra running uh, marathons all across uh, America and really all across the world. And there's one of the, the, the most strenuous courses that is found in Leadville, Colorado. How many has ever been to Leadville, Colorado? Leadville, I guess, has been the home of a lot of robbers and outlaws and people like that that wanted to go hide from their criminal activity. They'd go to Leadville, and, and so it, it has a personality all of its own, I'm told. I've been there. I just can't remember just a ton about it. But uh, anyway, they have this race there that is put on, and, and it's a very strenuous, one of the most strenuous 100-mile races. And something like, uh, you know, the fastest runners run it in like 20 hours, 20-something hours. The fastest runners, which seems incredible to me. But, uh, and then there's a cutoff point. You know, you can't even qualify unless you run it within a certain amount of time. And so they brought these people down from Mexico that had been running Basically barefooted, I think they had little sandals on their feet. They didn't have all these high-tech shoes and all this stuff. They'd been running on those rocks and among that cactus and all of that all those years, and they were just tough. And there was a, a lady uh, by the name of Ann Trayson, I believe, and she was from the Bay Area of California, and she was just one of these kind of individuals that started running and enjoyed it and just got into it and she had run to work in the morning like I don't know 15 miles and then work all day and then run back home I mean just incredible and they say that if you run uh, on a continual basis more than like a hundred miles in a week's time that it'll break down your body kind of stress fractures and all kinds of things but there's just some people like this lady that was just abnormal I guess and just highly athletic and was able to handle it she got in this race and she took off racing against these guys. And, and I mean, she took off at a pace that it looked like nobody could sustain. And she just kept on. And every mile marker, every aid station, they would check her out. She was still healthy. She was still running strong. They said there's no way she, she could possibly do this. And, and it just seemed like she was blowing these guys out that they felt like would win it hands down. And then finally, somewhere along about the 80-mile mark, she felt like she had the race won. And she was coming up one of the last big, hard, difficult stretches of the race. And it was up, uh, up a mountain. And, and she looked back, and one of these young men from down there in Mexico, a part of this tribe, uh, Ramara tribe, uh, comes running. And she said, the thing that totally intimidated her the most and that she was astounded by was the fact that she was bent over after, of course, 80 miles of running. I think anybody would be bowed over, and she was grimacing, and, of course, her energy and exhaustion level was incredible. She hadn't slept during this time or uh, anything, and, I mean, just, just wore completely frazzled but thought she had enough lead to make it the rest of the way, 
And she said, when I looked back and saw the countenance of that young man, there was a smile on his face, and he was standing erect. He was standing straight up, and he was running, and it looked like he had just started the race. And she said, I knew right then I was in trouble. You know, a lot of people smile when they start. A lot of people smiling on the starting line at the starting blocks. But to be able to come through life and live for God and still have a smile on your face at the end of the journey, that's what it's all about. And I believe God can help us. Amen. We don't have to let life get the best of us. We don't have to be beaten down by life. But I want to. when I cross over through those pearly gates, Amen. Of course, there's going to be a smile of celebration, but I want to be running the last of this race in the joy of the Lord. Amen. Because that's my strength, the Bible says. That's my hope, the Bible says. Oh, come on. Let's give him some real praise right now. Amen. 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 Praise God. You may have been burned on your job. You may have been burned in a business deal. They've been burnt through a relationship. A myriad of things. You fill in the blank. But don't let it, don't allow it to linger on you. Don't allow it to affect your spirit. Don't allow it to take the smile off your face and living for God and serving the Lord. If you're going to have victory, you're going to have to conquer that. You're going to have to conquer that. You can't give in to that. You know, the priest... And I'm going to conclude with this. I know I just took care of one of the five senses tonight. And maybe next Wednesday we can go a little further. But uh, the priest, the first thing that you came to in the tabernacle compound was the altar. And it was the most imposing piece of furniture. And the dimensions of it was, was pretty large. And then even in... Uh, the construction of, of the temple, you'll find that things was even enlarged more. The altar was a, a prominent place, and you couldn't get around. You couldn't make entrance into the, into the compound without going by the altar. And there were sacrifices that was given there. If you know anything about those sacrifices and the primitive times that they were living in, the Bible talks about their being horns on the altar. and You know what that was for? That was to keep an animal that would be writhing in pain from falling off the altar or from getting away. It was to tie that sacrifice down. And so uh, those sacrifices and, and, and very gruesome activity, and then that had to be burned up in, in some cases. And we know that there was dried blood and, Entrails and all kinds of things that uh, was left there. I don't want to gross anybody out, but I'm just telling you, it was not a pretty sight. It wasn't meant to be pretty. An altar isn't meant to be a pretty sight necessarily to the flesh and to the world, but it is a place of hope, and it is a place where we get victory over some things. But in God's plan, Beyond that altar where that blood was shed and all of that struggle took place, the Bible says, of course, there was the labor where there could be cleansing, but also 
Bible talks about the next real prominent place that they would go would be to the altar of incense. And the altar of incense, it was a lot different than the altar that was out where the sacrifices were made because that place, I'm sure that there was smell and there was, there was uh, the smell of, and the stench of sacrifices that had been made there. But when you got to that altar of incense, it was sweet-smelling and it was beautiful. And it made it worthwhile if you just kept going on. In God's plan, he, he gave them this altar of incense. It would be a, a place that would be a, a fragrance that would be lifted, of course, unto God. But I also feel like it was something that could be enjoyed by those that were involved in it. And we know that the altar of incense is typical of prayer. It's typical of worship praise that is given unto God and as difficult as situations may be in our life and as bad as they may seem at times and the stench of it seems almost unbearable if we'll worship God and if we'll pray and if we'll seek the face of God God will give us right in the midst of all of that a beautiful 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 place that we can we can bear up amen that we can we can we can endure those times of difficulty and those challenges god in his provision has made a place for us and an given an opportunity to us to be able to experience something very sweet i've seen people in very difficult times challenging times challenging situations praise the lord and maintain a prayer life and it seemed like even in the midst of all of that they never got a foul spirit they never got a bad attitude you didn't sense any of that on them but they were just a sweet spirit and a sweet surrender unto God you're able to God's able to bring sweetness into any situation in our lives you believe that if we'll trust in him if we'll give our lives to him would you stand with me right now Praise God. Let's lift up our voices unto the Lord. Let's give praise to Him. John chapter 11. Martha when Jesus asked them to roll away the stone, reminded him he's been in there four days. She said, by now he stinketh. And Jesus said, I don't care what the condition of the situation is. I don't care how bad the situation stinks. If you can just believe on me, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a miracle. Praise the Lord. If you can just trust in me, I'm going to give you a miracle. Praise God. And so I don't care if you can just believe God and trust in God. I don't care how bad the situation, the finances, the health, the job, no matter how bad it stinks. 
Somebody said, man, I, my job stinks. My situation stinks. That's the expression that we use, but you know what I'm saying. God is able to bring into that situation hope and is able to turn it all around if we'll trust in him. Praise God. Praise God. You've got to believe him. got to trust in him. got to have faith in him. One more time before we leave here tonight, I wonder if we couldn't give praise and thanksgiving unto God.